What's up, people? Another episode of Just for Sports. Jamoke Davis here with you. I hope you enjoyed your Labor Day weekend. And I'm looking forward to laboring through the NFL season. Months and months and months of football. And then just around the corner, as I always like to say, October is the best month in sports. We're going to have everything kicking off. College football, basketball, it's the end of the baseball season and the playoffs and hockey. And football's kind of in full swing after four weeks of the season. It's going to be exciting. And as we get ready to kick off the NFL season this Thursday night, I am trying to come to grips with the excitement in my voice, if you can't tell, that I in some ways think that the Washington football team could be the best team in the NFC East, possibly, it's probably not fair, I know. I can't help it. But anyway, I'm going to use this episode to break down my predictions for the upcoming season. I'm going to spend the bulk of the podcast going through that. But this was a great weekend in sports, and I just want to take some time to dissect what I saw. And I'm going to do it shortly. You know, I try to keep the podcast short, you know. Thank you for giving me some of your time. I really appreciate all of my, uh, the loyal listeners, if you will. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But this was a great weekend in football. Yes, my Pitt Panthers won as I expected them to beat UMass. But there were some really good games. There were some really good games on the college football slate. Now, my observations. Alabama's just really good. They have shown that they are the best team in college football. Not only did they crush Miami 44 to 13, But then you look at, and Miami was ranked. They were ranked 14th in the country going into the Chick-fil-A kickoff game. But the number two team in the country barely beat Tulane, 40-35. And Tulane, by the way, being a team from the New Orleans area was dealing with a hurricane that decimated the area where they lived in the campus and there's a lot on their mind. And they still came out and almost beat the number two team in the country. Clemson, the number three team in the country, lost to Georgia, which was the best game of this weekend to kick off the college football season. They lost 10 to three. Now you could say it was a defensive struggle. I'll give you that. But in some ways, it doesn't matter. They're the top, two of the top five teams in the country. 
So it is going to be a close game, but I didn't necessarily expect 10 to 3. Now I know Clemson is learning to play without Trevor Lawrence, but 10 to 3? Uagalele, uh, DJ Uagalele is going to have to do a lot better and show a lot more because 10 to 3 doesn't look good. Penn State beat Wisconsin 16 to 10 as expected. Iowa, Indiana, Iowa looked good in the 35 to 6 win. But the other game that I was really keeping an eye on was Notre Dame, Florida State. You have a Florida State team that isn't ranked, but I do have a little vested interest in Florida State as I do all of the other ACC schools. They lost to number nine, Notre Dame, 41 to 38. It's a shame because the game should have gone into double overtime. But unfortunately for the Florida State Seminoles, in my mind, in my mind, what happened is the Florida State fans missed out on a chance to have their football season start off with a bang. Mike Norville, I know what he was trying to do. I know exactly what he was trying to do, and it was the right call in overtime. Mackenzie Milton, who may be the greatest story in college football this year that everyone's going to be talking about, but to challenge the fumble on the third down in overtime which would have spotted the ball, would have been a 50-yard field goal if the fumble wasn't overturned, but it was overturned, and then it ended up being like a 20-yard chip shot. The problem is that Coach Norville should have challenged that play as soon as the fumble occurred as it was in real time. He should have immediately challenged, said, no, it was an incomplete pass. Because what he essentially did was, which by the way, Ryan Fitzgerald, who made the 50-yard field goal, but the whistle was blown that there was a challenge. He made the 50-yard field goal. Then he had the chip shot. So basically, Coach Norville iced his own kicker. He missed the field goal. Notre Dame goes the other end, kicks the field goal, and wins the game in overtime. I don't like the thought of thinking that that's the way Florida State season's going to go the rest of this season. As I talked to a couple of Florida State fans that I know, it was like, hey, it was a good showing. They played well. They were down by a lot early, battled back, scoring 18 unanswered points in the fourth quarter to tie the game up, send it to overtime, And they lose in overtime by a field goal. 
Jack Cohn for Notre Dame did look good through four touchdown passes. But I think when you think about playing an unranked Florida State team, maybe the Fighting Irish don't look that good. Maybe they don't. Maybe they don't. But it was a great weekend of college football, no doubt. It was also a good and a bad weekend of tennis. My biggest issue with the tournament is everything around tennis right now that has to do with mental and bathroom breaks. They have seemed to take over tennis more so than any sport. And it's actually quite sad. No one wants to read that Naomi Osaka who lost to Layla Fernandez in what Layla Fernandez is having a Cinderella run, which is a positive. Maybe I should start with the positive, right? I should, I should have. But no one wants to have to start with the negative. But that's where I feel like I'm starting. And for good reason. Naomi Osaka, she broke down after losing the second set to Layla Fernandez in ways that no one expected, breaking her racket, slamming it down, showing the kind of emotion that is, in my mind, is okay for an athlete. But maybe not for Naomi because of the juxtaposition in my mind of what we saw when Serena in 2018 had some issues with the referee And, you know, in some ways, you know, lost it emotionally a little bit. But Layla Fernandez goes on to upset Naomi Osaka. Now Naomi Osaka says, hey, tennis is no longer fun for me. I'm going to have to take a break. I don't know for how long. That makes me really sad. It's great that athletes that are playing in these individual sports like a tennis or even golf, how you see Roy McElroy saying she's backing, he's backing Naomi's decision to take a break because they can do that because they basically are in some ways independent contractors, so to speak. They're playing for themselves. Roy McElroy talked about this in 2019 about separating who he is as a golfer from who he is as a person and not letting it define me. So we understood in some way what Naomi Osaka is going through when she has tears in her eyes saying, I've got to step away. After losing to the 19-year-old Layla Fernandez, she's struggling with anxiety and depression over the last few years. And I'm sure the pandemic played a role in that too. But in many ways, unfortunately, it really seemed to start after that Serena Williams U.S. Open final. But you've got a lot of young players coming out of nowhere, sort of, and playing very well. Carlos Alcaraz, Layla Fernandez, 
Emma Raducanu, Francis Tiafo played well. But I don't want to get too carried away where it's like, oh, it's the it's the next it's the next group of young talent. Let's not go there. I don't want to go there yet. But there's been a lot of players that you didn't expect to be there, which by the way, Belinda Bencich, my upset pick is still alive, although Ash Barty has been eliminated. Djokovic is still alive. You got the Felix Auger Aliassime, who beat my guy Francis Tiafo, unfortunately. It would have been nice. It would have been nice to see Francis get into the quarters, but it was not to be. Shelby Rogers, who upset number one, Ash Barty, said she wished social media didn't exist. She's receiving death threats on her social media accounts. Even Rogers admitted that social media is a big part of marketing right now, marketing herself, just as Naomi has a tough you know, straddling that fence, so to speak. Sloane Stevens talks about the abuse that she gets. I mean, the sad thing is what you have to do, which in some ways I kind of do as well. You almost can't go on social media to look. You post and that's it. Don't look at your posts. Don't see how they've done. Don't see what other people are posting, although I know you want to like stuff. You almost can't like anything because then you see other posts on Instagram and Twitter and Snapchat or TikTok, Facebook, wherever you're posting. And social media is really in trouble because when you hear more and more players talking about how awful it is on social media, Somebody says, I know you're, it's hyperbole. No, social media is fine. But when you have quotes from Shelby saying, quote, social media can't control what I'm doing and the way my training is going to go moving forward, but I wish it didn't exist. It's really tough. Sloan Stevens saying, quote, it's exhausting and never ending after her loss to Angelique Kerber. It's sad. Why do we have to live in a world where social media is this much of a problem? Please stop. Everybody has keyboard courage. But it's unnecessary. You know, it's like, am I being a fuddy-duddy? Which I know is a weird old term I used. First one that came to my mind, though. That like the the your grandma said, if you don't have anything nice to say, then don't say anything at all. Yeah, there are some not nice things that I say from time to time, and I'm getting better at it. Everybody makes mistakes, including officials, <laughs> as I always tend to go towards. 
but I'm working on it and so should you. Please, we can't have this. We can't have this. Now, when I come back, which actually, sorry, sorry. Before I come back, let's talk about the good things with tennis before I get to the NFL. It's been fun. It's been fun watching the U.S. Open, seeing some of these younger players making a name for themselves, getting on the big stage. It's been a lot of fun. And I hope if you're a tennis fan, you've enjoyed it too. Now, the tough part is my Djokovic still available. Everybody say, okay, Djokovic is going to win. He plays Matteo Berrettini next. Zverev is still alive, which I figured he'd be alive still as well. He, Zverev beat who I thought might be the upset player, but it wasn't meant to be in Yannick Center. So I lost out there. On the bottom half of the bracket, you have Felix Auger, Ali Asin, playing Carlos Alcaraz, which is an, another great story. We'll see how far he gets. And then you have Daniil Medvedev at the bottom of the bracket. All still alive. It's going to be fun to watch if Djokovic, if the pressure gets to him even a little more. As he gets closer to the final and trying to get that grand slam, which hasn't been done in a long time. On the women's side, my sleeper, Belinda Bencic, is still available. Is still alive, excuse me. That was my sleeper pick to win it all out of Canada. Oh, Canada. Layla Fernandez is just been amazing. But now she faces Elena Svitolina, which will be a very tough matchup. Krejcikova and Sabalinka are at the bottom half of the bracket. And Pliskova versus Sakari is the other game. And Bencic is playing Raducanu next out of Great Britain. So it'll be fun as as a men's and women's tournament take a little bit of a break. Tonight, you'll see the matches pick up again, but not like I enjoyed over this Labor Day weekend where tennis was like in the morning. You get some afternoon tennis today and it'll be fun. I mean, I'll enjoy it. I'll enjoy it. There's more controversy that I don't necessarily want to really get into, but you know, the bathroom breaks are becoming a bit of an issue. And it's kind of at a point where the USTA and ATP Tour, WTA Tour, whoever needs to to get a handle on this situation. But Barbara 
Bar- Barbara Krychikova was criticized by Garbine Muguruza, and obviously you remember Stefano Tsitsipas being accused of being unprofessional with the bathroom breaks. But it's got to stop. They have to get a handle on when a player can take a bathroom break, etc., etc. Now, in the end, Krychikova won two straight sets, 6-3, won the second set, 7-6. Garbine Muguruza didn't like, Garbine Muguruza didn't like that Krychikova took a medical timeout as the momentum was swinging in the second set for Muguruza. The match didn't finish till like 1 a.m. on Monday. Muguruza had a 6-5 lead after being down 4-0. She thought she was going to be taking the second set. The, the problem for me is when I think about this as I had to take a step back, the... Bathroom breaks and medical breaks are different, yes. But like, is it any different than when a coach says, hey, time out when you know the other team is going on a run? That's what you do. But Muguruza was quite so upset that at the end of the match, she basically said that Krejcikova was unprofessional. But when I see Krejcikova, who didn't even participate in the postgame match, that she seemed to be, well, injured for one. But she said, quote, at the end, I was really struggling. I feel really bad right now. I don't really know what happened, but I couldn't breathe. I started to feel dizzy and the whole world was shaking and never happened to me before. She, To me, she looked like she was really struggling, whether it was with heat or playing so late. I don't know, but... You know, as the camera stayed on Krychikova walking into the back underneath the bowels of the USTA Flushing Meadows Tennis Center, she just seemed like she was stumbling and barely able to walk. And that's sad. That's sad. And I don't want it to be that way. But let's, let's enjoy the happiness of tennis, the joys of tennis, if you will. Because there are a lot of them. And when I come back, we're going to talk National Football League and my predictions for the season. Coming up on Just for Sports. Are y'all ready for some football? I know that I am. As the National Football League kicks off this Thursday night, this is what I'm talking about. This is going to be, well, okay, I'm, look, let's not say that this is like, I do enjoy basketball, I enjoy baseball, I don't know what it is that like football is like it. And we have some great opening weekend games, starting with the Cowboys and the Buccaneers, Thursday night, 820 on NBC. Buccaneers favorite at minus eight. You don't know what you're going to get out of Dak Prescott. Steelers Bills on Sunday. That's going to be a fun one. 
course, my Washington football team against the Chargers. Packers Saints. Browns Chiefs. Dolphins Patriots. Ravens Raiders on Monday. So I've been reading all of the different predictions for the season. I have went through my two fantasy football drafts and I've got another one coming up tonight. Last one. I I really struggled. First time doing an auction draft in a long time. It was not easy. I mean, you do all of your homework and then somebody else gets to outbid you for that player. It's tough. But I've been reading a bunch of different predictions for the season. Looking at ESPN, CBS, Sporting News, Sports Illustrated, NFL.com, 538. That really, you know, gets into the weeds with the analytics. And I'm going to start with 538. We're only talking futures. We're not getting into specific games right now. We're talking team futures. Chiefs, Super Bowl winner. They're at plus 500 to win the Super Bowl. 538 has the Buccaneers, 13% chance of winning the Super Bowl. The Chiefs are right behind them with 12%. Buccaneers plus 600 on DraftKings.com. You can go to PropsHQ.com for all of your betting needs. Give you links to all of the different betting houses and information you should use in your football life, so to speak. Help you make informed decisions. FanDuel, points bet. And you can see other shows as well. We're going to start with the NFC East after we decide. So here's my thing. First, first. I am trying to decide if the Bills can overcome the Chiefs. Can the Packers beat the Bucks? And then is there a sleeper for the Super Bowl champion? Will it be Lamar Jackson? Now that he's taking the vaccine, he can take the field no matter what. But when I look at 538 in the predictions for winning the Super Bowl, you've got the Bucks and Chiefs at 13 and 12%. Bills at 9%, Packers at 8%, Ravens at 7 Rams at 6 Browns, Seahawks, Titans at 4%. A lot of long shots. So really, in my mind, you're looking at Rams, Ravens, Packers, Bills, Chiefs, and Bucks to win it. All things being equal, everybody being healthy, I guess in many ways, if the if the Chiefs' defense has improved, I think the Chiefs win it. I think the Chiefs win the Super Bowl. Karma, maybe he'll come back to bite the Packers. 
The Buccaneers are loaded, but I see the Packers and Buccaneers playing in the NFC Championship game. And I just don't think Aaron Rodgers has enough weapons. So I think it will be Bucks Chiefs again in the Super Bowl and the Chiefs winning it all. That's my prediction. Now, let's go to actual teams, conference winners. And we'll start in the NFC East. The Washington football team will repeat as division champs. That's right. You heard it right. Which, by the way, just uh, in case I didn't say this, if the NFC is represented by the Bucs in the Super Bowl, the conference winner is at plus 275 for the Bucs and plus 600 for the Packers, Chiefs at plus 250, Bills at plus 500. But division winners... NFC East, the Washington football team is at plus 200. Can they win it again? I think Ryan Fitzpatrick is a underrated quarterback, Fitzmagic. Let's see if the magic can last a whole season. I feel like it always seems to be midway through a season, you know, a team decides to go in another direction or a, a younger quarterback. But Washington seems to play better with a seasoned quarterback. And let's see if Fitzmagic can do something. With a talented offensive skill positioned roster, and Antonio Gibson as a running back, Logan Thomas, tight end, Terry McLaurin, wide receiver. And of course, with Chase Young leading that defense, they have a top defense. Ryan Fitzpatrick, he just seems to be a little bit better than average. Just a little bit better. And I think that the, the Washington football team are my pick to win the division. The Cowboys, if Dak Prescott is happy, will definitely challenge for that title. But that's the key is if he's healthy. And do they have enough on defense? We don't know what the Giants are going to be with Daniel Jones. And we don't know what the Eagles will be like with Jalen Hurts. So I think you have two unpredictable teams there that make the Cowboys and Washington football team front runners to win the NFC East. And I give the edge to Washington. Not just because I not just because I'm the fan of the Washington football team. I think also because Dak Prescott's coming off of a major injury. And if Dak Prescott is not 100% ready to go or makes it through the whole season, as you could say with any team, yes, but I think that Washington football team has a better opportunity there. NFC North, I expect the Green Bay Packers to run away with that division. In fact, on DraftKings, they are at minus 160. I don't see the Vikings. Who knows what's going to happen with the Vikings in general. I think they have underachieved overall, but that's also because they 
I don't know what's going to happen with COVID and Kirk Cousins. I just don't see them being a team that can contend, even though they have one of the top running backs in Dalvin Cook and two great, wide, really good wide receivers in Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. But I think the Packers with Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones, Matt LaFleur's offense, I think they are just heads above the best team in the NFC North. And I picked them to win that division. Lions, we don't know. Bears with Justin Fields, I don't know. Jared Goff has a going to be, you know, playing for a new team in the Lions. I don't know what you're going to get there with a new head coach. Justin Fields, maybe he's a season or two away, or he could be a Cinderella team. You never know. But I picked the Packers to win that division. And yeah, they probably could get back to the Super Bowl. They probably could. NFC South. Buccaneers. Are favored at minus 200, Saints plus 350, Falcons plus 900, Panthers plus 900. Saints maybe could do it. Maybe. Sean Payton is in the post Drew Brees era. Can Jameis Winston get the Saints back to? The top of the division, not with Tom Brady there. Not with the way that team is playing on defense and offense. I think it's a lock that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers run away with that division. And, 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 dare I say, you got some extra money. Put down the Chiefs and Bucks to go undefeated in the season. That's a fun, that's a fun bet. But, I digress. I got off track there. NFC South, lock for the Bucs to win it. There is no chance whatsoever in my mind that you will see any team other than the Bucs win it. And again, I'm saying this based off of health. All teams have to be healthy. The Panthers, second seed of the season under Matt Rule. Don't really know what they have with their team. I think the sleeper pick could be Matt Ryan, who now has some really good receivers. And they have a new offensive-minded head coach in Arthur Smith. Maybe something good will happen there. Now, from a fantasy perspective, you can get Jameis Winston. Woo! He's going to be throwing the ball. That might be worth it for you to grab him. Lastly, NFC West, 49ers plus 180, Rams plus 190, Seahawks plus 275, Cardinals plus 650. In my mind, this is the toughest division to predict a winner even more so than the NFC East, even though the NFC East has the Eagles at plus 500 to win the NFC East. So that means there's a better chance of them winning the East 
with the Giants at plus 400, Washington football team at plus 200, and Cowboys at plus 150. But I think the talent, especially when you talk about at the quarterback position, I think that the NFC West is going to be the toughest position, excuse me, toughest division to predict a winner. All four of these teams I predict will have winning records in this season. 49ers have a good defense and offense. We'll see about the offense. Trey Lance, Jimmy Garoppolo. You never know. Got a great offensive line. Shout out to Trent Silverback Williams, former Washington football team player. The Rams. Are they overhyped with Matt Stafford? Sean McVay has always had a great offense. They've got a great defense with one Aaron Donald from the University of Pittsburgh. The Seahawks. Russell Wilson's still there. They've got a really good defense in the Cardinals. What will happen with Kyler Murray? Cliff Kingsbury. The genius that he is. What can he get out of Kyler Murray? They could be a really good team. They could come out of nowhere. 49ers could drop some, so to speak, depending on what they do with the quarterback situation. But you've got four really good teams that are all going to have winning records, and it's going to be tough to see them not make the playoffs. My prediction is the 49ers at plus 180 to win that division. I think this the crazy thing is thinking about quarterbacks. They only have one really talented quarterback. They have two. One in a rookie and the other one in Jimmy Garoppolo who isn't a rookie but I still think of him as a rookie because I feel like he was a young quarterback that was supposed to follow up Tom Brady in New England it never happened and with injuries he's never quite been the same but I think he's still really good I think he's still really good all right AFC let's start in the AFC East Bills Patriots Dolphins Jets We got the Bills at minus 160, Dolphins at plus 350, Patriots at plus 350, and the Jets at plus 2,500. Yeah. I mean, do we even need to think about the Jets? No, we can cancel them out. But I do think in the East, with Josh Allen as that quarterback, the Bills, yeah, they're going to win the AFC East. The key for me is what will the Patriots do? If Matt Jones becomes the next Tom Brady, watch out, watch out. I don't know if they have enough talent on offense and defense when Nelson Aguilar is your best wide receiver. But Bill Belichick has gotten more with less. He seems to do it every year. The... Cam Newton experiment didn't work out.
but I pick the Bills to win that division. Tuga Tuga Viola, I don't see Miami doing much. The Jets seem to always be jinxed. Let's see what Zach Wilson can do. But I I got the Bills winning the AFC East at minus 160. And who knows? They could be representing the AFC in the Super Bowl. They're that good. They're that good. AFC North. That is another division that I could see all four teams with winning records. Ravens, according to DraftKings, plus 110 to win a division. Browns, plus 155. Steelers plus 500, Bengals plus 2,500. So yeah, it's a long shot for the Bengals, most definitely. But let's start with the Browns who are favored to win that division. Excuse me, the Ravens who are favored to win that division. My apologies. Now, the reason why I stumbled on that is because in my mind, losing J.K. Dobbins was a big blow to the Ravens. But Lamar Jackson is a beast. And if, if they can overcome... The loss of J.K. Dobbins by bringing in what may be a Le'Veon Bell. I know that the Ravens are working out Le'Veon Bell. Maybe the Ravens can make some noise. The Steelers. Can Ben Roethlisberger bounce back from what was... Not his best season, but not his worst. They still had a winning record as the Steelers. As if you remember, I tweeted that out, how amazing the Steelers have been over like the last 20 years. Mike Tomlin's never had a losing season. But they got a new running back in Najee Harris. They got Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, and Juju Smith-Schuster, Eric Ebron. So they got the offensive weapons. They got arguably the best defensive player in the National Football League in T.J. Watt. If Ben Roethlisberger has a great season, watch out. They are my sleeper team. Of course they're my sleeper team. Bengals with Joe Burrow? Eh, I don't know. Steelers are my sleeper, but the Browns, who somehow out of nowhere have been talked about as the team to represent the AFC, at least in the AFC championship game, and to win the AFC North. It's the Browns led by head coach Kevin Stefanski and Baker Mayfield, who had a breakout season last year. They have a great defense with Miles Garrett leading the way. And their season last year was kind of unexpected. 
But I could see the Steelers getting there and, and, and getting a win. I could see it. I really could. I think with the Ravens, not quite sure about the running pack, back position, what's going on. You know what? I'm going to say book it. I'm going with the Steelers. I think the Browns take a step back. The Steelers get back to form this season. They have, in my mind, the better all-around team. That's going to be a tough division to win, though. Steelers win the AFC North. AFC South. Titans are favored to win a division at minus with 115. Colts plus 150, Jaguars plus 650, Texans plus 300. Now, we know the Texans would be up there if they if they weren't dealing with the unfortunate circumstances surrounding Deshaun Watson's season. The Tennessee Titans, if nothing else, because we don't know what the Colts are going to be with Carson Wentz. Can they rely on Jonathan Taylor's running game? I don't know. But I think the Titans with Derrick Henry and Julio Jones now on the Titans and A.J. Brown, Ryan Tannehill getting it done under Mike Vrabel's team that always seemed to overachieve. I think the Titans win the AFC South. Jaguars, Trevor Lawrence, has some good young receivers, but I think you don't know what's going to happen with Urban Meyer. What kind of coach is he going to be? And too many questions for the Texans. Too many questions. I mean, Tyrod Taylor starting for the Texans till they can figure out what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson. He probably won't play this entire season. And I had a dilemma, a moral compass dilemma. My very last pick in my NFL fantasy draft Deshaun Watson was sitting there, the 20th ranked player in Deshaun Watson. I picked him up. Oh, he's ranked 20th in the league. If it wasn't for the issues he's dealing with off the field, he probably would have been the arguably the at least top 10 player to get drafted. And no one took him. So I just took him and I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have. I know. But I got the Titans winning that division. Lastly, AFC West. You got the Chiefs, Chargers, Broncos, Raiders. Broncos have a defensive-minded head coach in Vic Fangio. I do have Noah Fant on my team. I don't know what you're going to get with Teddy Bridgewater as the quarterback. Raiders, I don't know what's happening with John Gruden. Derek Carr, sometimes he's good, sometimes he's not. Not quite sure what's going on there. The Chargers, I like Justin Herbert as a quarterback. I always want to call him Hay Bear, but I know it's not right. But they have a new coach in Brandon Staley. You got to go tried and true. Chiefs. 
That's an easy pick. I know. The Chiefs are at minus 250 to win a division. Chargers at plus, LA Chargers, that is, at plus 450. Broncos at plus 600. Raiders at plus 2200. I'm going with the Chiefs. Of course, I'm going with the Chiefs. I got them winning the Super Bowl. But the Raiders, I actually am thinking of going to that Washington football team game in Las Vegas. Maybe. I don't know. I'm thinking about it. But those are my division winners for the season. Conference winners, as I mentioned, Chiefs at plus 250, I'm going with them. Bucks plus 275, I'm going with them. But if you want a sleeper, a deep sleeper, Washington football team at plus 2200. All right, I'm just joking. Saints at plus 1600. That's a deep sleeper. On the AFC side, Steelers at plus 2,500. That's a long, long, long shot. Titans at plus 1,500. Another sleeper. Another sleeper. All right, that'll do it for Just for Sport. Long episode. A lot of football to get to. But it was a long, long Labor Day weekend. So I had some stuff to get off my chest with sports too. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you enjoyed the NFL season. It's going to be fun starting on Thursday. Ciao for now.